0: So we are in Exodus chapters 28 and 29 today. So last week we learned about the tabernacle, right? God's dwelling place among his people. And so this week, in these chapters, we're going to be looking at the priests, the priesthood, the people who were um, able to actually enter the tabernacle on behalf of the Israelites. That's what chapters 28 and 29 address. So we are going to start by reading a uh, First few verses in chapter 29. So um, that's going to be on the screen, and then we will, you can follow along in your Bible. Okay. So it starts with Have Aaron, your brother, Moses' brother, brought to you from among the Israelites, along with his sons Nadab and Avihu, Eleazar and Ithamar, so they may serve me as priests. Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. Tell all the skilled workers to whom I have given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron, for his consecration, so he may serve me as priest. These are the garments they are to make. A breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. And they are to make these sacred sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his son, so they may serve me as priest. So that's how this uh, chapter starts. So, God has chosen Aaron, Moses' brother, and his sons to be the priests. And this passage gives those instructions on what they're to wear and how they're to be set apart. So, do me a favor real quick, and if you have a Bible or you have your phone out, do a quick scan of these two chapters. Just take a minute and just skim them over. You don't have to read them through, but just kind of skim them over to get the gist of um, what is happening. So, look at Exodus 28 and 29. Just take one minute to do that. Noticing is there's lots of details, right? (laughs) Lots of details. It kind of feels like the same type of text I got to teach on a couple of weeks ago, um, where we read all about the laws and all the ordinances, and you're like, okay, what do we do with all of this, right? Um, It's detailed, it's confusing, it's unclear. Like, Okay, cool, like historical, maybe this is cool, but like, what do I do with it now, right? What does it matter today? Is this a part of the Bible that we really need to know or care about? Um, Why does this actually matter? So what I want us to do today is look at this first, look at this passage first as understanding what the high priest role was, why it was significant back then, and then how Jesus fulfills that role completely for us today today. Because when we understand the original role of the priest, it helps us and it enhances um, this idea, this truth, to more richly understand what it means that Jesus is now our great high priest. So think about Exodus 28 and 29 as the backstory of what's to come. Okay. So we're not going to get caught up in all the details, but it is important that we're going to kind of pull out some things so that we can get this clearer picture of what it means that Jesus is our high priest. So in our faith tradition, and um, you know, depending on how you grew up, how you were raised, um, we are somewhat unfamiliar with the priesthood, right? So let's unpack what a priesthood actually means for a little bit. So in the Old Testament, the high priest represented the people before God. He cared for the temple which was considered God's space on earth and he's the one who announces his announces God's blessing over the people. The high priest was the mediator between the people and God. And the the priest represented God to the people, but then he also represented the people to God. And because of God's holiness and because of Uh, humanity's sinfulness, the people were separated from the presence of the Lord, right? And the only way not to be separated was through a mediator. And the thing is, God wants to dwell with his people. He has always wanted to dwell with his people. From the very beginning, he has wanted to do that. He does not want separation. His heart is always one of pursuit, so, because of that, he establishes the priesthood and he sets this high priest apart as the one who would function in that mediator role, be this important mediator between God and the people. So, because if the people were to try and go into the presence of God on their own, they would die. And they, so, they needed this priest. So, what chapter 28 does for us is it describes the priestly garments that they were to, required to wear, their uniform. And then chapter 29 tells us how they're to be consecrated, set apart, to be able to actually enter and meet with the Lord. So we looked at chapter 28 already. We did a scan through to see that there are a bunch of details on what the priests are to wear. These clothes, they were meant to give dignity and honor. It's what scripture says to the priest. They were a sign that the priest was acting with the authority of God. I mean, that's what a uniform does, right? A uniform tells someone your role. Whether it's, you know, what you wear to school, it tells them that you're a student or that you're a police officer or you're a doctor. Like, whatever your uniform is tells others what your role is. So, these priestly garments included, we learned, a breast piece. An ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. And it's interesting to note that there were no shoes, right? There were no shoes told to mention, or that they were mentioned. And remember what happened to Moses in the beginning of Exodus, right? When he first encountered God at the burning bush. What did God tell him? Take off your shoes. Take off your shoes. Why? Why? because you're standing on holy ground. So it's the same image of the high priest entering into the tabernacle, understanding this mindset that you're standing on holy ground. This would be a holy place. So when the high priest entered the temple, this holy place, he wore an ephod or an apron of sorts. And on this apron were two stones that listed the names of the 12 sons of Israel. And similarly, this breastpiece that they wore had four rows of three stones, and each stone had one of the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And so both of these details are really easy to fly over, right? But if we spend just one second thinking about it, we see that this matters because it emphasizes that the priest himself bore the names as a memorial before the Lord. He wore over his heart the names of all the tribes of Israel as he approached the Lord. So then the rest of chapter 28 covers all of the details of these garments, right? Um, so it gets into lots of details. So, but all of this does is it points to the idea that the priest must be righteous. But what is the obvious problem with the priest being righteous? Human. The priest is human, right? The priest is human and he is not righteous. And like we're really close to seeing how unrighteous Aaron and his sons are, right? Um they're set to be the first priests, but they are sinful people. So chapter twenty-nine now explains, well, what do we do? What do they do about that? So chapter 29, in this chapter, we see the process for how the priests were to become consecrated or set apart so that they could enter the holy tabernacle. Holy tabernacle. So that it says that they were first washed from head to toe, symbolizing a spiritual cleansing, and then they were clothed with all of their garments, and then they were ordained with an anointing oil, this image of God pouring out his spirit on this man. And then after that, a sacrifice was made, a bull, which was followed by a ceremony. And all of these steps were repeated for seven days in order for the priest to be ordained. Each day, a bull was sacrificed on the altar where God accepted sacrifices for people's sins, including the sins of the priests. But then after they were ordained, they offered two lambs for sacrifice every day, once in the morning and once in the evening, to be a sign of devotion. So the flow of these chapters is that we see that the people's guilt is transferred to the priest, right? And then the priest's guilt is transferred to the animals, and then the animals die and sin is dealt with. And so the big idea of chapter 29, 28 and 29 with all of these details, and even before with the tabernacle itself, from the tabernacle to the priesthood, it was all about God dwelling with a sinful people, his people, like, that was what he was in pursuit of, right? So, read with me at the end of chapter 29 in Exodus, starting in verse 42. So, it's this chapter ends saying, "...for the generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance to the tent of meeting before the Lord. There I will meet you and speak to you. There also I will meet..." Oh, go back. <laughs> "...there also I will meet with the Israelites, and the place will be consecrated by my glory." So I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So... We're to connect to this story, right? We too, we know, we we know that we have been brought out of our sin and we get to worship with the Lord. The Lord gets to dwell among us. But remember, in Exodus, we're dealing with the old covenant here, right? We're still dealing with the law, but through Jesus, we have the new covenant. And now through the spirit, he dwells in us. And this is the part that I just love so much. I had so much fun just sitting in all of this truth this week. What makes these two chapters so interesting and so important to us is that they call our attention to the person and work of the high priest, right? Aaron, his sons, and all the other ones that followed, they were just a shadow of the better and perfect high priest, Christ himself is our high priest. And so to know what that means, that Jesus is our perfect high priest, I want us to jump, I want to spend the rest of time in the book of Hebrews for that. Hebrews is this really beautiful book that emphasizes how Jesus came to fulfill the law and establish a new covenant. And because of that, it explains how Jesus is our perfect high priest. So we are going to finish up reading in Hebrews. You can turn there, to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 18. So it says, the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son who has been made perfect forever." Now, the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. I mean, how incredible is that? You know, like this week, just spend some time just meditating in Hebrews So good. I mean, it connects so much of what we're looking at in Exodus to what Jesus, who Jesus actually is. And the thing is, why this feels so right and good and rich to sit in is because I think we forget, um, or I think we underestimate, or we just don't even understand why Jesus matters to us today, right? Um, We know why Jesus mattered in the past, like, there's uh, there's even, like, a gospel finger play that my kids know, you know, many kids know where it's, you know, um, like, Jesus was born as a baby, he grew up and lived a perfect life, he died on the cross to pay for our sins, he was buried in the tomb, and after three days, he rose again, and that's the gospel, right? Like, that's the story that we know, like, historically, that's the past, Right? And then as Christians, we also believe that one day Jesus will return and he will make all things new and there will be no more pain and sorrow and tears. And we have that future hope, right? We know we've been forgiven and we know one day complete and final redemption is to come. But what about today, right? Is there hope for today? Man, I think that's one of the big things that Christians just get right off the track with, right? We don't understand our hope for today. What about my guilt over sin for today? What about the wrong choices that I just can't stop making? Or what about my sadness or my grief, my sorrow that I can't get over? Are you meant to get over? I don't know. What about my anxiety or my fears or my worries, the things that keep me up at night? Parenting's really hard, right? School can be really hard. Marriage can be really hard. Work can be really hard. Money can be really hard. Family's hard. Does Jesus make a difference in any of that today? Like, that's the thing that we have to keep wrestling with. What difference does Jesus make in our reality today today? And that is the beauty of Jesus being our great high priest. He offers us a living hope today. And I want to look at three ways that he does that. As our high priest, what we saw in Hebrews, what we read, Jesus represents us. He intercedes for us and he meets all of our needs. So the first one that he represents us, the high priest represented God to the people, right? And the people to God. That was from the very beginning, way back in Exodus. And because Jesus is fully human, he can fully represent all of humanity to God. And because he is fully God, he turns back to us. Just like Aaron whose garments carried the names of the tribes of Israel into the presence of God, Jesus represents us too. He carries our names in his heart. We are in Christ, united with him. And as our representative, he provided a better and complete and final sacrifice. He did not offer animals, but he offered himself. He became the sacrifice We know that for God to forgive, something has to die. And that was what part of the old covenant, right? That was part of it. Something had to die. There had to be a sacrifice. Jesus gave up everything for us. He did not rely on the blood of others, but He relied on His own for us. And because of Jesus, there will never need to be another sacrifice. It's finished. We have a high priest, it says in Hebrews what we just heard, we have a high priest who sat down. His work is finished, it is made complete, and we don't need to continue to sacrifice for for our sins. Jesus sat down. You know what? I can't sit down if I still have a lot of things left to do, because once I sit down, I'm not good for much, right? Jesus is not up there pacing. He's not up there trying to figure out what to do. He sat down because his work is complete and final and finished. That is our high priest. Jesus fully represents us. He fully mediates for us, and we receive complete forgiveness. And the incredible thing is that God the Father now sees us through our representative Jesus We are now clothed in his righteousness, and we talked about that recently. His priestly garments, we are clothed in that. So when God looks upon you, he sees the finished work of Jesus. You are righteous in his eyes. Do not forget that. The second thing that Jesus does for us as our high priest is that he intercedes for us. The breast piece that the priest wore, um, it, it included these items that were for making decisions. It was kind of like stones or rolling dies, some kind of way that the priest would go in and, and intercede and make decisions on behalf of the people. Um, and like that, uh, or, or the, like the priest, he carried the concerns of the people. But in a better way, we have a great high priest who hears our concerns and takes them before the Father. God the Son talks to God the Father about you. Like, what other God is like that? He always lives to intercede for us. He allows our prayers to join His prayers as He prays to the Father for you today. Like, this is part of our living hope. He desires to save. He lives. Scripture says he lives to intercede for us. With the point being to completely save us. For all the insecurities we have, for all the fear and the worry that we carry, we can rest in spite of all of that, knowing the knowledge that Jesus lives to intercede for us. And he's interceding on your behalf. And as our high priest... The third thing he does, because he represents us and because he intercedes for us, Jesus meets our every need and he meets our needs for salvation. We can put our confidence in so many things, right? So many things that can be taken away and Jesus can never be taken away. Jesus is the one who is responsible for our faith. He's the one who initiates it and we respond to it. We don't have the ability to meet all of our needs, but we have assurance that Jesus does. We are not alone, but we are being served. We are being represented. Our priest is interceding on our behalf today. That's the good news, that Jesus is our great high priest. And Hebrews tells us, with all of this, we are to just draw near. That's what we're called to do. We are told to simply draw near. So what does that look like for you to draw near to your high priest? I don't know what it looks like for you individually. Maybe you draw near in praise or lament. Or you draw near with questions and doubts. Or you draw near with confession. I don't know what it is that you need to draw, how you need to approach God and what that looks like to draw near to him. But I do know that that is the next right step, is drawing near to our great high priest. So earlier this week, I was driving home from an errand, and I was, um, you know, uh, the Davises live in our neighborhood. I was trying to drop something off at their house. And um, as I was driving home, I was trying to get to their house first, and I couldn't get there um, because there was this incredible amount of police activity happening um and she, they they probably live about eight blocks between us and um there's a middle school and uh, a big field it kind of separating us and so as i was driving there i saw that all of this police activity and the streets were blocked off i couldn't get to her um so i just went home and an hour or so later i texted her and said uh, you know mentioned that there was police out I'd be by later and drop this off um and she mentioned, you know, apparently there was a disturbing situation um, with a teenager who was potentially putting himself and others in harm. Um, and so she asked if I wanted to meet nearby to pray. And all week long, I've been soaking in this text. And, you know, and I'm just, he said, okay, let's go. Let's go meet and pray. Let's, uh, so we met. And I got there before her, and I was, you know, um, on the other side of the sidewalk with the field in between us, and I could see all of this police activity. And I'm talking eight police cars, 15 police officers, a SWAT van, uh, about eight to ten people in full SWAT gear, rifles, uh, just chaos running, and... We know that in the, you know, the within the current events that we have been reading about and praying about and sitting with over the last few weeks, you can imagine how um, disturbing and how rattling and how um, just how, how scary this was just to kind of see this unravel, you know, with this football field in between, you know, and... Um, And at that point, I said, okay, let's, I'll meet you. We'll meet at the park. You know, we'll get a little bit further to what's happening because now there's lots of other things out. Um, So we sat in the park, and we just prayed for 20 minutes or so. And then we got and separated, and I drove back by on my way home, took the same route back. And as I drove by, 20 minutes later, there was not a police officer in sight, there was not a. It, the SWAT team had cleared. There were no cars. There was no ambulance. There was nothing. There were people walking the street. There were bikers. There were people walking their dogs. It looked like nothing had happened. It looked completely different than what it looked like 20 minutes before. Shockingly different. You would have never known. And I sat there in awe at the Lord. And the truth is, in those moments, it's really tempting to make sense of why this was cleared, you know? Like, well, they were probably wrapping up, right? (laughs) Um, Maybe there was a reason that, like, we didn't, you know, that that things were just getting cleared out so quickly and we had no idea. Um, You're tempted in those situations to not credit God for his grace and his mercy, Right? But that morning, I had just been steeped in these passages, in the truth that Jesus Christ is our perfect, complete, great high priest who intercedes on my behalf, who has the ability to completely meet our needs, who loves us, who's up there serving us right now, who mediates for us. And so as tempting as it was to write that off, I just sat there and I praised God for what he did. And that's what we have to remember. Church, we have to remember this because this is what changes everything for our today. Christ is not just a story from the past and he's not just a hope for our future, but he's our living hope for today. So as we, prepare, as we take time to prepare for communion, I want us to think about this. We know that Israel had priests to mediate for them, but they still had to make a sacrifice before the Lord. Blood still needed to be offered in order for forgiveness to be received. They were still flawed, sinful people. But just like the law, the priesthood of Aaron and his sons and all of the priests that would follow, they were not meant to be that final solution. The long-term, the perfect final solution is Jesus himself. So Jesus declares, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, our great high priest, offered his own blood as a complete and final sacrifice. So when we participate in communion, we remember that. That because of Jesus, we don't need to keep offering sacrifices, but we have a high priest who offered himself and through that action restored our relationship to God, the Father, forever. He perfectly mediated for us. He perfectly represented us. So let's take the bread and dip it in the wine. And as you're holding it, you can give thanks. We remember. Remember what Jesus did. Remember who Jesus is. And take and eat. And let me pray for us. God, we are so thankful that you always had a complete and final plan. We are thankful that Jesus is our perfect, complete, great high priest who offered himself as our final sacrifice, who serves us, who loves us, Who represents us? Who intercedes for us, God? What a gift you gave, Lord! I pray that each one of us would draw near. However that looks, whatever that means, may we be so bold to simply draw near. We love you, Lord. Your name.